Hey, I want to invite you into an exercise with me. I want you to think back through all the different life lessons you have ever learned. And of course, they're not all going to come to mind right now. But I want you to think back to those lessons that you feel you've just learned most deeply. Maybe it's a, an answer to, to something in life that just you treasure. And you treasure that life lesson that you learned. Or it's just something that resonates over and over and over. Now, I want you to think about how you arrived at that answer in life. Was that process a process in which you had to learn by experience and find out for yourself? Or was it something that somebody just told you and you took their word for it? The classic example we've all got from when we were younger is when mom or dad said, don't touch the hot burner. Now, some people took their word for it. But most of us, most of us had to learn by painful experience, didn't we? Or when somebody told you maybe not to be around certain influences in life because it could change the trajectory or the direction of your life. Did we take their word for it? Or did we have to learn in what we call the hard way? Or how many times did we have to be told, read the instructions first, look at the map first, look at the guide first, before we actually did that? Most of us had to go back and redo it, rebuild it, get lost, get lost on the route, before we actually looked at the instructions, read the guide, or looked at the map, didn't we? See, there is something in our human nature that just, we seem to have to learn by painful, tough, difficult experience. Which is why we're in the series we're in right now. We've got a few weeks left as we go through Peter's first letter to the church. And, and you have to keep in mind the context. They're in a difficult, difficult time. And it is a painful, tough experience. And I'm sure all of us could draw parallels to what we're all walking through right now and over the last few months. But what's, what's so interesting to me is that even though we know we have to learn things the hard way oftentimes, that goes so against what we would say we want. Because the truth is, you and I, we want smooth sailing, don't we? And smooth sailing is something that we can get so focused on, we can put so much energy into, we can put all our hopes on, that we can get really, if you're like me, we can get really, really frustrated or really, really grouchy when it doesn't go that way. See, oftentimes we live for our own ideals. And our own ideals really bring out the worst version of ourselves. We, be, we become people that are maybe hard to live with at times. We can fight and, and hold on to our own ways over other people's ways. And we can really just tend to overemphasize ourselves. I'm reminded in high school, there was a, there was a friend that many of us knew, and I, I, I would use the word friend loosely, but there was a guy that we knew who sensed this about our human nature. And that was impressive because we were all in high school at the time. But he would go down the hallway and he would offer to write people's essays and their papers for him. For a fee of $20, because this was before inflation, he would write somebody's paper for him. And, and it was amazing how much money he made. And what that speaks to is that thing in us that wants the easy answer. We want smooth sailing. Because then we don't have to go through the difficult experience of writing a paper, of having to do the research and learn and, and go through and formulate our own thoughts on something. Now, 
The reason I bring this up is because all you have to do is walk through one week of life to realize this is a world that will kick our ideals down. The idea of smooth sailing is really an ideal, and it's an ideal that is just not attainable after any amount of time in this world. And so what we do is we settle for something that Jesus put his finger on one day. He had just fed a multitude of people, and after he had fed this multitude of people, he and his disciples crossed a lake by boat. And as the crowd found him, as a group of disciples beyond just the 12 found him, they got into a conversation and Jesus puts his finger on that thing inside you and me that if we can't have our ideals, if we can't have smooth sailing, then we want what he points at next. This is in John chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, let me read this to you. We pick up in John chapter 6 verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. There's something in what Jesus says right there that I don't want us to miss because he points something out in them that he could point out inside us as well. You can actually hear him put his finger on where they've placed their hope and what they and what we hope the answer is. See, we all recognize that we're probably not going to have smooth sailing in this life, but we will settle for, if we can't have that, smoothed over. In other words, they were hungry and they didn't necessarily want who Jesus was as much as they wanted what he could do for them. So they were hungry. They wanted to be filled up. Can you feel that thing inside right now? I mean, I mean Jesus, you're wonderful, but could you just fix what's broken in my life right now? Can, can you look at our circumstances and could you, just, could you just fix it? Could you just snap and, and make it all better right now? And in doing so, what we do is we settle for a lesser version of who Jesus really is. See, to want smooth sailing and our ideals to be met, we will overemphasize ourselves. But when we want things smoothed over, when we want him to just fix everything, we actually underemphasize Jesus. We tend to treat him like a waiter at a restaurant. Do, restaurants, do you, do you remember those? Do you remember like going somewhere and sitting down to eat? I've heard, I've heard people are starting to do that again. But we'll tend to get our order at a restaurant and if something is off with the order, we really need the waiter, don't we? And we'll do everything we can to get their attention to make sure they know what needs to be fixed. But once it's fixed, usually we want the waiter to uh, leave us to our conversation, don't we? Yeah, and, and this is what we can do with Jesus and to stay there, to stay in a mode of wanting everything to be smooth sailing or smoothed over, we tend to miss something that we have to see and know inside of ourselves. And Jesus gets there in the conversation with the disciples. Take a look. Verse 28, then they asked him, well, what must we do? Can, can you hear that emphasis? What must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do, Jesus? 
Can, can you hear the emphasis they've got there? Jesus, what are you going to do then? If, if it's not what we're going to do, what are you going to do? Keep in mind, this is on the heels of feeding thousands of people with just a few loaves and a few fish. This is on the heels of Jesus walking on the water. And yet they have the audacity to say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do that's going to make us believe you, Jesus? And they had completely put out of mind what they had just witnessed. Have you ever talked with somebody that they put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllables of their words? They tend to sound funny, don't they? They talk funny. See, when we put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllables, we talk funny. When we put the wrong emphasis on the wrong place, in other words, ourselves, we tend to live funny. And that process of moving the emphasis off of ourselves and on to our Savior is at times a painful process. And oftentimes it takes a tough, difficult, painful experience for the emphasis to move. Well, the conversation between Jesus and the disciples, it continues. And finally, a number of verses later, the conversation wraps up when the broader group, beyond just the 12 disciples, it's like they collectively throw their hands up in the air and they've had it. And here's what they have to say. Verse 60 of John chapter 6. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? In other words, if you haven't believed what you've seen up to now, you're not going to believe what's coming down the road. He continues, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. From this time, a few verses later, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Did, did you catch the word in there? Disciples. That is, these are people that at one time said, Jesus, I am for you. And I'm not only am I for you, I'm going to follow you. And John tells us they no longer followed him. See, it, it, this was difficult for them and it's difficult for us. Because on some level, they had maybe, maybe not hoped for smooth sailing, but they had hoped Jesus would smooth everything over. That, that he would take care of their physical hunger when the whole time he was trying to tell them, listen, the bread that I fed the multitudes with, that, that, was, that was a sign. That was a sign of who I am. I'm the actual living bread that you need. You don't just need what I can do for you. And yes, there's so much Jesus can do for us. But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is who he is, not just what he can do. And for them, and for you and me, the answer that we place our hope in is not in the smooth sailing. It's not in the smoothing over. It's in who he is, even when the waters are rough in our lives. See, the, the thing that they didn't understand, and that you and I forget, and that we at times don't understand, is that real hope and our answer to the living hope is this, that living hope is grown in the middle of life's groans. That's where who Jesus is actually shows up. And it's out of that conversation, on the tail end of it, that Peter, Peter who decades later 
would write to the church during very rough waters, during tough, painful circumstances, Peter would come up with this answer to a question Jesus asked that would inform that letter decades later. Here's, here's what Jesus has to say. After all the disciples leave, Jesus turns to the twelve and he says this in verse 67. He said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? In other words, Lord, <laughs> you're the answer. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Did you catch that phrase? We have come to believe and we have come to know. How do you think Peter and how do you think the disciples and how do you think you and how do you think I, how do you think all of us come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Do you think it's smooth sailing? Are you hoping it's smooth sailing? It's not. Do you think it's smoothing over? Are you hoping that it's smoothing over? Because in one, as we said earlier, in one we tend to overemphasize ourselves and we tend to think we are the answer. In the other, we settle for a, a lesser version of Jesus and we underemphasize Jesus. And we tend to think the answer is in what he can do for us. And if I look at Peter's life, and if I were to sit down and talk with you about your life, and if I were to even think through my life, I think we'd all come to the conclusion that neither of those is the answer. It's often in the rough, rough waters, in the midst of life's groans, that living hope, real hope, is actually grown inside of us. And not only does that give us our answer that Jesus is the living hope, it forms how we answer. See, decades later, decades after this conversation, when, when Peter is writing this letter to the church, he's writing to them, as we've discussed, during very turbulent times, when they were being pursued and persecuted. And in the middle of all that, Peter, perhaps looking back on his own rough waters and his difficult times and in the middle of life's groans, Peter tells the church, you've always got to come back to the answer you've found. And it informs not just what you answer, but how you answer when people ask where you find your hope. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. He goes on, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And, and of course, Peter is referencing not what Jesus could do, but who Jesus was. And then he shifts everything. He says, listen, you have the answer, but how you give the answer counts. You've heard the phrase, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. The tone matters. And empathy matters when you're giving an answer to people. He goes on, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 
Peter says, it's better. It's better because you get to be part of a plan that you never would have planned if things had gone according to your plans. See, there is something about difficult times that not only helps us arrive at the answer of hope in Jesus Christ and who he is, but there's something about going through rough times that can soften us. And it can begin to take the edges off of us. So that when someone who's even mistreating us, when they finally ask, what's different about you? What's, what's the reason? What's your reason for going through life? We not only have an answer, but it forms how we give that answer. Peter's getting at something here. You are not just giving an answer. You are living an answer. And you're living it because he's used life's groans to grow that hope inside of you. And that's important. And the reason it's important is because you, like me, we probably have people in our lives that we perceive have hurt us. And underneath the surface of, of these people, these faces that we see that have hurt us, are people that are hurting. And so, those hurting people we can relate to. Because during a time that we were hurting, that we were looking for hope when life wasn't smooth sailing or smoothed over, we found an answer to living, useful, lasting, real hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in the answering of those who ask us, why do you have this hope? That Jesus turns people toward him. A couple weeks ago, the world lost a, a great man in Ravi Zacharias. He was known as a Christian apologist. A Christian apologist is someone who defends the Christian faith. And he would very literally do this. Crowds would gather and Ravi Zacharias would stand on a stage with a microphone and he would let the, he would let the audience ask any question they wanted. And those who would show up were not always friendly. And they were not always gentle. And some were out to, to try to make a fool of him. And so they would ask their hardest questions, sometimes with very malicious uh, demeanor. And every single time, as he gave his answers, he did so with all the qualities Peter points at here, and even back in verse 8, when he says, be like-minded, be compassionate, be humble, love one another. All of it defined Ravi Zacharias's answers to everyone who asked. And we are to do the same. And so with that in mind, I would ask you to keep two things in mind. Number one, when you don't see the hand of God in your life, as you look around and the waters aren't smooth and you're, you feel like you're in the middle of life's groans, remember that's where hope is grown. And so when you don't see the hand of God, I would encourage you to open up the word of God. We tend to wait for life to just work out to say that's the hand of God. But that's not lasting hope. Lasting hope is in all circumstances. All circumstances, even in life's groans, we can point at the hope of who Jesus is. And the second thing that I'd love for you to have in mind is to think back on your testimony. I mean, your testimony, you, you want to know what it really is? It's to look back at all the lessons of life, how they have brought you to the answer for why you have hope. That's really what your testimony is. And I'd be willing to bet that was not smooth sailing and it was not always being able to fix everything and smooth it over. 
It was in the middle of life's groans, in the middle of tough times. That's how we often arrive at the answers we arrive at and learn the most valuable lesson of life. That our living hope, our living hope, we have come to know him. He is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so with that in mind, Wes Bowles, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we start this prayer the same way we start every single week because it's what we want to express to you. Thank you. Thank you that you are a God who, in the middle of our looking around and hoping for better circumstances and just smooth and easy and, and, and not hard ever, uh, you remind us that you are the living hope. You are the one who shows up in every single circumstance, even when we can't see you. And so would you remind us that it's those difficult circumstances you're using not just to remind us and bring us to the answer, but you're using it to form the way we give the answer to a hurting world that no matter what they do to harm us, at some point they're going to ask the question, what's the answer? How do we walk through this life? What is behind the hope of these people who follow Jesus Christ? Write that answer on our hearts, Heavenly Father, and bring it through us in a way that only you can. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week.